this episode, I'm very excited to talk with Brian Berry from Pink Milk. Brian is not only a Star Wars super fan, but also an amazing and inspirational content creator. If you've listened to this show before, you know I'm a big, big fan of Pink Milk, and I just wanted to take a moment and share Pink Milk's mantra with you all before we dive into the episode. It goes like this. We are Star Wars fans, we support each other, and we have fun. Truly a lesson to live by. So stay tuned as we talk Max Rebo, family, and Brian's personal Star Wars journey on this special edition of Krypton to Alderaan. From Pink Milk. Hello there. So great to have you here, Brian. How are you doing? I am great. My name is Brian. If you haven't listened to us before, my pronouns are he, him. And uh, I've got a couple a couple of Star Wars podcasts that I do and proper chaos. Proper chaos and good fun, I hope. <laughs> you want to tell us a little bit about Pink Milk? Yeah. So we have two shows. Like I said, we have a morning show that I do with my husband. It's Pink Milk Husband and Husband. And it's for us super fans and those forced to listen to us. And that was kind of how the podcast started. So uh, I am a lifelong Star Wars fan. He has been with me for what feels like a lifetime and been forced to listen to me talk about Star Wars way too much. Then we did it in front of a microphone. So he's just a casual fan at best, is, as some of our listeners have deemed him. <laughs> it's a real treat because Lord knows sometimes us super fans can take Star Wars way too seriously. And he is there to remind us that a character's name might be Jennifer. <laughs> a good anchor. Yeah. You just passed 14 years, right? You just passed your 14 yep. year anniversary. Congratulations. Thank you. It's crazy. The world has changed a lot in 14 years. Like our yeah. world, as in Tom and I as a couple, and then the world around us has changed a lot too. There's some, it's amazing. Brian, I'm really excited to go through your Star Wars story today. I'm a big fan of Pink Milk, as you know. You've mm. read me saying that a lot. You've been doing a lot of interviews lately. Listeners, hey, go and check out <laughs> Ryan's interviews. And we're going to get into your Star Wars history. So I wanted to start off with a different question, maybe, and something I've been curious about for a while now. Why Max Rebo? Uh, <laughs> so... Hold for one second. Keep talking because I'm going to grab something. <laughs> okay. That's gonna be, it's going to be great podcasting content when I hold up a picture. I will narrate your actions. <laughs> Brian is searching through his bookshelf and he's pulling out. Oh, not book. that one. Nope, not that book. A different one. Still searching, searching. There we go. Return of the Jedi. This right here is Return of the Jedi Official Collector's Edition from 1983. Nice. This... So funny. Uh, normally when we live stream, I have a different camera. So Joey, you're getting like the whole behind the scenes, the ugly shot. No, I love seeing everything <laughs> real quick as an aside. I've been looking around and seeing all the fantastic stuff you have, including your little Bulbasaur down there. In the, uh... Yeah, I love me some Bulbasaur. Yeah, that's I, I'm, awesome. I would not say I'm a huge Pokemon fan, but some of the character designs are just so gosh darn oh, cute. Love it. Agreed. <laughs> so this is probably outside of the toys that I got from my brother. This magazine I bought in 1983. So that is huh. one shows how old I am Two, how much I've always, uh, how Star Wars has literally never left. 
but I bought it off a spinny rack in a grocery store. And in the center of the book is this. It is my first centerfold I ever had. <laughs> you got Max Rebo's centerfold. That's amazing. Uh-huh. And I don't know what it was about this image, but I absolutely loved it. Like that was Return of the Jedi was the first Star Wars I had seen. They weren't on video. They weren't on anything. And I'd never seen it before. But that right there made me such a Star Wars fan. And I had a very distinct memory of going to see it, Return of the Jedi, in the theater in 1983. And when Jabba the Hutt sail barge blew up, I started crying hysterically because Max Rebo is a good guy and he shouldn't have died. <laughs> um, so I don't, I don't know what it is about him, but he's there. Your first centerfold. <laughs> That's incredible. It's something I never thought of, the casualties of Jabba's barge. It's so funny. Wow. I um, Wow. Like, I, I love me some Star Wars. Don't get me wrong. I call it the pew pew pews a lot. And I'm here for the pew pew pews, but I am not into Star Wars for, like, the big action scenes. And all. I love all of that, too, I guess. But really, it's what's bo- always boiling underneath the surface of Star Wars that I'm here for. And when I play with my toys, they all had different things. Like, each of my layers, they were different layers. They were different characters. And I think this is where my love for Max Rebo really came, because there was this, like, group of kids. There was Wicket. Max Rebo and the teenager Paplu, who would sometimes get them into trouble. And they'd go on these adventures, and poor Max Rebo used to always get in trouble. And it would be Wicket who would save him from, uh, Lord knows what was going on, but I don't know. He's just so cute. Like, let's just be real. <laughs> I used to have this. I have my beanie baby with this pin that I've also had since like the 80s. I don't know. It's real. It's real, though. <laughs> and your sip some tea. Yes. Max that, I have a tea tiki. Whenever we throw some shade or say something wrong on the live stream, I drink out of. That was a gift from Chase before Chase was part of After Dark. They sent me that a long time ago. Pretty great. <laughs> we love Chase here. Chase, if you're listening, hello, and we love you. Uh, yeah, I'm grateful that Chase joined the team. They're really, really fantastic. And your answer really touched on something that I love, and that's the stuff that's boiling under the surface of Star Wars for you. What's really important here and what we talk, we, we try to talk about on Krypton to Alderaan a lot is perspective and the importance of perspective and putting yourself in someone else's shoes and the power of perspective. And when I listen to your podcast, both podcasts, what's fantastic is that your perspective on Star Wars has so many levels from being a queer fan to being a husband and a father and then a Star Wars content creator. So everyone always asks the question, how did you get into Star Wars? Mm-hmm. When did that happen for you? And, and people's answers are, you know, this person took me and I just loved it and the pew pew pews. But I think there's so much more to it. Where were you when you first had your connection to Star Wars? Like, where were you at in your life and how did it connect with that version mm-hmm. of you? So I saw The Return of the Jedi in the movie theater, but I really don't remember a lot. I remember Max Rebo dying, and I remember the curtains being pulled for Jabba the Hutt. And those are really the two images that I, that's all I really remember. Sure. So I grew up with Star Wars on the TV with the VHS tapes that sent me to the hospital. Because back then, things did not come that quickly. And you could buy them, but they were very expensive, apparently, because they were mostly for like retail joints to rent out or whatever. And my father accidentally wrapped all three and I opened them all and had an asthma attack and had to be rushed to the hospital (laughs) on Christmas morning. (laughs) But I did bring those tapes. They did play them in my hospital room. (laughs) 
Oh, wow. They were like, let's keep him here in case he needs more care. Uh, uh, oh, so uh, God, I'm such a nerd. But I think, I mean, we can get real. We can get deep real quick. Which if you listen to Pink Milk, you know, I cry a lot and I take it very seriously. I get into those things. If you don't, well, be prepared. I was adopted by my father and my bio dad. I don't know who he is and most likely never will. And it was always something that I knew about, but was never to be talked about. But I knew there was something bad boiling underneath the surface of that. And so it was just something you avoided. And I think the moment that I really connected to Star Wars on the level that I connect, that I still have with it, was seeing The Empire Strikes Back and that tree cave scene when Luke Skywalker is confronted with a vision of himself as Darth Vader. Wow. Yeah. And I really related to the idea that that there's this darkness, at least in me, that I felt Luke must have had in him, too, because I knew Darth Vader was his dad by that point. You know, like the world knows now. No one's surprised by that anymore. Sure. But I really related to it, and I felt like I understood Luke Skywalker in a whole new way. And that was, I think, the moment he also became my hero because he somehow knew that and was still a really good person. But I think that is the moment that that I really connected to it the most. And we did do an episode of that that I never thought I would talk about ever in a million years. But I did, and I'm glad I did. So you can go check that out. <laughs> If you want, if you're so interested, it's not an easy thing to talk about, but I'm glad I did. It was actually a very healing, a healing moment. It's an incredible episode and an incredibly powerful episode. And I can't imagine what it was like for you to go through that and then talk about it. And that there are people out there who listen and can just feel seen or feel connected to your story because they've gone through something mm-hmm. similar. I was recently talking to a queer friend of mine, actually about your and mine interview, and they were saying that when they were first introduced to Star Wars, they felt like there was nothing there for them. Mm -hmm. So you just talked about how you connected with it when you were at that point in your life. What was it like? What has it been like having no representation in Star Wars? Yeah, I'm going to give just a real honest answer. I guess for me, I think as a, as a little queer kid, like the cantina scene always meant a lot because there's lots of different aliens. There's lots of different kinds of people in this cantina and they all just kind of existed together. And that is what it was. And there wasn't any context around it. And so I guess for me, I just always felt like I looked forward to getting older and being in a world where I could just be myself. Mm. And I don't even think I knew I was gay yet, but you always kind of know, but you just don't have the language for it. And then, you know, I got older and there wasn't. A place for me, exactly. But I think we're like a month away from our two-year anniversary from when Pink Milk started. And I've said this a lot when we talk because I, again, I don't know if it paints me in the in the greatest light, but it's an honest answer. I don't think I understood how important representation was until we started the podcast and I started hearing other people's stories. Star Wars is always just my thing. I didn't really have anyone to talk to about it. And it's always meant a lot to me. But in speaking to other people, and then I I was recording a podcast, it was our first year, it was during Pride Month, and I was talking to someone, I realized, who was another gay guy, and I realized in the middle of this interview that I had never spoken to a queer person about Star Wars before. And it was this really profound moment, because I, in the snap of a finger, I realized how much I was missing the whole time and didn't realize that I was missing it. You know, I'm also 
just a white dude. So I saw myself all over the place like that. And I guess I came during a time that I just never even thought I was going to ever get queer rep anywhere. And the representation I did get, which we talk a lot about on the show, is, you know, it was always about the AIDS crisis or somebody was dying somewhere. It was always someone being left by the family. And I just, I had had enough of those kinds of stories. And so I just kind of stopped looking for it. And I really never dreamt that I was ever going to get it. And so I guess there was a level that I just had to shut off. Otherwise, it was really depressing. And so maybe I just stopped looking for it. And like I said, I don't think that was a healthy attitude. I don't think it was the right thing to do. But the podcast has really opened me up to it. When, like when we started, so we're a queer podcast and we're very gay on the show. We don't hide anything. And I <laughs> never thought we would see a ton of success because I just thought maybe a handful of gay people would listen to because I had never heard another gay Star Wars podcast or a gay YouTube channel when I started. They are out there now and I know that now, but when we started, I didn't know they existed. And so I was like, I'll talk to the other five gay people that like Star Wars and that's about it. But we're pretty open with a lot of stuff on the show and I've had a lot of different kinds of people reach out and talk about how they were affected or how they would see things in certain sorts of ways. And I think my eyes just started to open. You know, I'm a parent now and we've been parents for, again, we're like a month away from five years of when our first son came. So now I've entered the stage of my life where I think I'm a dad before I'm even a queer person. Like that's what comes first now. And we're an interracial family. And when our youngest son, Michael, came in, who looks different than all of us, I started to see things really differently because I maybe for the first time really realized how little there was of other kinds of people. And I didn't want that for him. And so it all just kind of came at the same time that, you know, again, I'm not real proud of that, but that's just the honest answer. Sure. And I do think we talk a lot about like inner homophobia too. And I think that was a very real thing that I suffered from because when I was coming out, I mean, I'm at the stage of my life where I've been out longer than I was ever not. I'm 42. I came out when I was 18. So most of my life I've been an openly gay guy and it was really bad. It was awful. (laughs) It was really, really tough. And so I just had walls up yeah, as a way to survive. I hope it's getting easier for people as we move on. But I think for a lot of queer people, we're the only ones. You know, we're more often than not the only queer people in our family. And no one really understands you in your immediate circle a lot of times, especially, especially back then. Like I couldn't come out in high school. Like there was no way. <laughs> there was literally no way I could come out. I grew up in the suburbs in a very religious suburb and I couldn't come out. And then I ran away to Texas to come out in Texas. Why I chose Texas, I don't know, but that's why I ran away to. (laughs) (laughs) And I didn't even come out when I moved. I went somewhere where I knew no one and I could just be gay. So I never even had to come out because I didn't want to because I was really afraid I would lose everyone. I was afraid I'd lose my whole family, you know, and I don't I, I don't have a super great relationship with my parents, which I'm pretty open with. And it's not even about a gay thing. It was lots of other things. It was a lot of other things. And so I I was like, if I come out, I grew up in a house where my father was like, if any of my kids are gay, then don't ever come back. And I was like, okay, so if I come back, I will never be welcomed in again, you know? And and, I mean, my parents are supportive to an extent. So I'm grateful that that didn't happen, but it was a real fear. It was a real fear. And then there were certain times that you just, for your own safety, you couldn't come out. It was dangerous. (laughs) Right. So 
something you just touched on, Brian, and something that I've heard you and Mark on After Dark and maybe I think on Husband and Husband you talk about before is growing up as a gay man in the time that you did, the systemic notion or propaganda or whatever it was, you know, the AIDS epidemic was going to, sorry for the language, kill you. What effect do you think that had on your interaction with your world? And, And what effect do you think that had on your fandom? You know, it's interesting. I do bring this up a lot. I think it's an important story to tell. It's not told a lot now, and there's a lot of things that still go on about it. We talk about sometimes, too. I think there's this notion sometimes of, you know, when I was growing up, safe, like safe sex was such a conversation because of the AIDS epidemic that it was drilled in your head that you have to do that. And then I get older and you have those conversations and there's certain generation that I feel sometimes that's now a stigma because if you want to practice safe sex, then you are like anti people living with HIV. And that's just not the world has shifted and which is a really great thing because now it isn't a death sentence. But I've talked about growing up in the 90s, the real world was like a really big, important part. And in season three, when they're in San Francisco, there there was a person named Pedro who was living with HIV. And at the time he was 30, I was, you know, 14, 15, 16. So of course, 30 seemed like so far away. But at the same time, I realized that it wasn't that long. And I remember at 16, I came out to myself prom night because I basically went to prom with another guy and he basically went with me. We never talked about it, but that's basically kind of what happened. And I realized we were sitting at the Phoenix Zoo for the daytime part of our prom trip. And I just realized that I'm going with him. And it was really hard. Because that night, I remember, I would think back to Pedro, who had died not that long before. And I was 16, and I realized half my life was over. Because I just thought, if I came out, I'm going to have AIDS. That that was what the story was. And so then you have to carry that, too. Like, back then, you know, I was going to have to tell my parents that. And they're, like, going to outlive their son. And it was, there's a lot to sit with. And I do think Star Wars, for me, has been this escape. I hold on to the idea that everything's really at the end of the day is going to be okay. Like I love the end of the original trilogy, especially when there's like the cornball, like Sears catalog poses of everybody together. Like they're really (laughs) awkward, but Star Wars is just is filled with that. And then you have Luke Skywalker who had his father tell him what his future was going to be. And he decided, no, he wasn't going to let someone else tell him what his future was going to be. And I think at some point in that, I kind of held on to that. You know, I really I love George Lucas a lot, too. I I hold George Lucas into really high esteem for me. And George has a bit of, um, for lack of a better word, <laughs> like an F.U. attitude about him. You tell him to do something, he's just not going to do it. Sure. And that can be dangerous. But I also think it can be really freeing. And I think that is could also be some of the 90s boy in me. But I am a little bit like that. If you tell me to go right, my husband calls me cantankerous Kathy. And uh, <laughs> if you tell me to go one way, I'm just going to go to the other. Yeah. I just I think it comes from being bullied for so long and the fear of what someone tells you you have to do. Then fine. I'm going to go forge my own path. I've gotten better with that as I get older. But I still think it's in me. And I think that's a lot of Star Wars, too. The Rebellion is very much that Um, they don't fall in line and they're not going to let you tell them who they are, what they're going to be. Leia is a great thing. But I do think Star Wars gave me a lot of hope. I lived for those cornball endings. I lived for those fairy tale endings. Like I, I had said, I didn't have a great relationship with my parents. I don't have a great relationship with my brother. It was really hard. 
And I knew someday I was going to be able to get one. All those characters came from a tragic place, but they all built something together. And, you know, and today I, I say this a lot, but I'm grateful and I live a life that I never dreamt possible for myself. I feel like I built a life that is a 180 from anything I was given. And I credit Star Wars with a lot of that for giving me the belief that I could keep keep going forward. <laughs> yeah. That's, Let's get there. <laughs> no, no, please. That's why we're here. But it's just... Like I said up top, so many times the question is asked in a way where, Mm. when did you first see Star Wars? Who took you? What did you think? Pew, pew, pew. And it's just like incredible to have this perspective to, it's just so powerful. And thank you for sharing. Thank you for listening. I mean, honestly, I think that's like, I'm a big fan of your show too. And I think one of the things that I love is all of you. You had mentioned earlier about perspectives and wanting to be able to share perspectives and the four of you oftentimes have four very different perspectives. And I feel when you're listening, it creates a spot of not feeling alone Yeah, because you're listening to other people who can respect one another who are different. And you might rib on each other a little bit and all that, but you know it's all coming from like a really good place of love for one another. And it's really nice. I did not have much social media experience before we started the podcast. And I am someone who in life... In general, I think I go seek people who are very different Mm -hmm. than me because I find it interesting. Yes. I live with my thoughts on themselves. I don't really want to find people that agree with me all that often. I mean, my husband and I, that's one of the things that when we first met 14 years ago, Tom was really nervous that we that we were just too different. Like Tom is Irish Catholic through and through. I am like the farthest thing from organized religion you can get. I am far more, I don't know, for lack of a better word, like anti- (laughs) anti-authority sometimes tom is like grew up in catholic church so he's very fall in line and we have these we're very different from one another but we love each other and we learned early on that uh both of us end up arriving at the same destination we just take two very different trips to get there and i value that in people i've always surrounded myself with people that were very different than me because i value that and i feel like it's it's a more interesting and rich life for me, when I can surround myself with people that just think differently. And it's not even always about, you know, a lot of conversations, unfortunately, someone has to be right. And you don't have to, you can just have a conversation. And the point of the conversation is sharing. And maybe understanding where someone comes from sometimes doesn't mean you need to agree with them. But understanding where human beings come from is a really interesting thing. I think I've completely gotten off from the original question. I don't even remember. No, (laughs) it's... Everything you just said is something that everyone needs to hear. And specifically to, again, what we're talking about here as Star Wars content creators within the Star Wars Mm -hmm. fandom, finding different people, respecting their perspectives. That is something that fandoms need. And it's something that the people within fandoms need to hear that they need so that we can all like coexist positively, healthily together which is we don't see a lot Mm. within the Star Wars fandom from what I've seen. I feel very privileged and lucky to have become part of this community on social media. A A lot of it has to do with Pink Milk, where it's very healthy, it's very accepting, it's very positive. Mentioning the four of us on Krypton to Alderaan having different perspectives, it's something that Pink Milk does very well with you and Tom with husband and husband and you and Mark and Emma and Chase on After Dark 
how do you do it, Brian? I find it so difficult to like <laughs> cater a discussion. How do you make it so that four people have something to talk about? <laughs> I love that. Con- I love that question because I think, I think it can be applied to like real life too, outside of being on the internet talking about space wars. <laughs> when we first started Pink Milk, I legit thought like the thing that was going to be the catchy bit was Tom not being a super fan. I was like, there has to be so many couples and whether it's a relationship or friendships or coworkers that there's the person who talks too much and Plo Koon is just a normal word that of course we all know who Plo Koon is. Like, of course. I cannot wait for Lorelai to hear this part of the conversation. (laughs) But most people are not us. Even yeah. people who like Star Wars, they're not us. We are the minority and we're the weirdos, right? Like, And I just don't get <laughs> yeah. it. Yeah. Because again, like I said, I grew up in a time as a gay person that it's really hard to this day. And I don't like this. And I'm working through it every single day to get better and better that people think less of me because of that. Or people are going to not listen to me because I'm gay. I've never been someone who once, like I said, I came out at 18 and I've never... I refuse to ever get back in. I refuse to ever hide it. It was conversations Tom and I would have earlier because Tom, like I said, he's more of a fall online kind of person. And he had an easier time just not talking about it or avoiding it, you know, and and thank God that changed, especially the minute we had kids because Tom was like, I got to get over this real quick because I'm not teaching my children that. But that was something that I just remember it is not my business what other people think of me. I can represent myself the way I can represent myself. Hopefully I'm doing a good job. Hopefully I'm a good person. Hopefully I'm leaning, putting those things out there and listening. And what what people think about me just isn't my business. If somebody comes back to something that affects me, then maybe I need to listen to that because maybe there's something that I can work on. If it's just noise, that's on them. That's not on me. And it's about confidence, which is hard to get to also. And it was... The fact that we were gay is what people started to like latch onto and talking about us adopting our children and a found family. That's kind of shaped pink milk. And it was not what I was anticipating, but it was really appreciative because it opened my eyes. And I can't believe how many non-queer identifying people listen to the show. That was just, it took me a long time to like understand that. But I'm with you. Like I'm the CEO of that. It's all me, <laughs> especially with Tom. Yeah. Tom, as he jokes around on the show, I'm just, I just show up. That's what he does. It's yeah. true. <laughs> I'm here for the paycheck. I'm just here yeah. so I don't get fired. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> um, I, we just have conversations. I'm not sure. great with show notes. I am the opposite of a lot of people. I can't, if I give myself too many notes or I gave myself a script to follow, I would botch it all up. Like I'm more of a, like I have a general idea and then let the moment take me where it goes. So Tom and I have a great rapport and that was some of it too. I really wanted to show like a really healthy gay couple our age you didn't see two guys very often together for 14 years like it just didn't society doesn't believe in you there's a lot of contributing factors to that but i was like i think tom and i are funny and we're really happy and i want to share this because this can happen this can exist and maybe some of it's you know a little bit to tell my dad off you know what i mean or all those people but after dark i think i feel really lucky that i met it started with just mark and emma and we had done some roundtables to, to discuss the first season of The Mandalorian, which when that came out, I just felt like it was a very queer-coded show. I loved Injarn. I have an inability and also an unwillingness to see him as anything other than a gay guy. Like, that is how I see sure. him. The minute he came on the screen, that's what I saw. And then every <laughs> as every episode comes out, I just feel like I get more of a, a affirmation for that 
And so we had this conversation and these roundtables, I'm really proud of them. I don't know if they're always the best edited things. So they always sound the best, but the conversations we're having, I'm so incredibly proud of. And by the end, there's probably 10, 12, 13 people. None of us knew each other ahead of time. And I think we all just ripped our souls out and bared our chests. And I think there's some really, really important conversations in those. And when that happened, it just changed all the pink milk. After that, I can go back to what we used to do. And it changed me as a person. But Mark and Emma, we just hit it off. You know, I think we just really respect one another and we really like one another. If you listen, Emma is so incredibly intelligent. Everything that comes out of her mouth is like poetry. She's brilliant. Yeah. Mark and I are just like the same person. <laughs> and, he's, and, and he's great. And then we came across Chase, who they started watching us in the steam room. And I don't know what it was, but Chase reached out once or twice on, on Instagram. And I just, I felt like a gay dad. I don't know what it was. Chase is, you know, huh. in their 20s and we're all in our 40s. I just felt very protective. I don't know what it was, but I Chase is just, they had a, a, a great, like a great outlook on Star Wars. It was fresh and it was different than all of us. And so I was like, I, I can't wait to share this voice because there's so much discourse in Star Wars about anti-sequels and anti-this. And I'm like, I want someone in who kind of came in because of the sequels. And that was what like really brought them back in full force. And I was like, I love that energy. And I'm really glad that Chase is there. I don't know how I do it, to be honest. I guess I'm just brilliant. I, I'm just brilliant. Know, That's man, all I it is. It. Just do it. Yeah. <laughs> I just, I think the key is to find people that you really just like, you know, yeah. after dark, we, and there are nights we're up to like another two hours, just hanging out, chit chatting. And it's funny, I've never met any of these people in real life. It's all been over zoom or whatever it is. It's all been internet. So when celebration comes, hopefully we'll all be able to go. It's going to be uh we'll see. <laughs> How did you, how did you meet Mark and Emma? Yes, through those roundtables. Like, so just through that. Mm-hmm, so those started in August, and it was like I said earlier, we had done a Pride thing in June, and Mark Marquis, who is also a content creator on the Clashing Sabers Network, was the first time I spoke to a queer person, and then you know I was like, I want to do this again, so I just put out a little thing on Twitter, and we were had no following back then. We no one knew who we were. <laughs> we had hardly like no one knew who we were. But they all just kind of answered the call. Mark, I had known from Twitter because I followed him. And there was a few rubs because I forget. I have a very dry sense of humor. I'm very sarcastic. And I had to learn that that doesn't always translate on Twitter when you don't know people. Sure. Because <laughs> <laughs> I was giving them a hard time. I remember when I first messaged him, there was a Tauntaun and a Star Trek thing in the same shot. And I was like, oh, this cannot happen. This cannot exist. <laughs> But yeah, then we all just hit it off. So I met them through those roundtables. And then um, after that, I was like, let's do this live stream thing. Quarantine's happening. Live streaming kind of took off. And I was like, I, I love Tom and I love what we do on Husband and Husband, but I can't have the same kind of conversations with him as I get to on After Dark. Right. Um, so it was also selfish from that. <laughs> we all need varying degrees to our creative mm-hmm. outlets. Mark and Emma, but also Chase. Chase is a fantastic content creator also. So if you're listening, go to YouTube and search That Gay Jedi. Really great content. So good. Yes, all of that. Check, check, check. Also, read M's fan fiction because at the end of the day, she'll tell you every time that um, it's trash and don't read it, but it's really brilliant. Also, but don't read it at work. <laughs> yeah, not safe for work. 100%. And maybe not safe for people that aren't Raylos, but you know what? Go and read it anyway because it's a perspective. So just, just no, read it. She turned me into a Raylo. I was not like See, anti the power Raylo, of perspective. But 
<laughs> I was never a Raylo until Emma. And now I love me some Raylos. I love Raylo Twitter. I love how spicy they get. I love how like I just I honest I have to say I love everything about it. <laughs> They've had to learn to fight back. I remember we did an episode right after Rise of Skywalker and it was you talk about Krypton Dalderon having four different perspectives. I think it was Royce and Lorelai against me and Robin. But I loved Ray and Kylo, and I put up a big defense about like their story throughout the trilogy and it making sense. And so we didn't have a label for it then. But yeah, Raylo's forever. <laughs> you tell a story on your podcast, especially with you and Tom, about consulting with other foster mm-hmm. parents and the expectations that they put on their kids. Can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah, you know, I think our kids were not something I thought we would talk about. I mean, I knew we would talk about them. I really feel our kids, even though, well, I do miss Michael. At the beginning episodes, Michael used to do the intro, but he's not interested anymore. But I don't think I knew how much of, they're a real big part of the show. I feel like they're another host all of themselves. And it's the perspective that we end up talking about a lot of things. Maybe some of that's because Eli didn't even live with us when we had started. It took us months of of pretending like we were podcasting and we had Tom and I recorded and deleted and all that stuff. And then Eli came. And so we were, we were in it. And the process of adopting Eli was really, really hard. We had a judge who did not like gay people. And it was, it was a real fight to get him. And none of our kids had an easy life before they came to us. They all had to overcome way too much. But in sharing our story, it became evident to me that it was important because we end up talking a lot about queer representation because all of us hosts are queer and then as a dad i i may have even said this here like i've i'm becoming i'm a dad first like that's just what happened i i identify as a dad and then i identify as a queer person (laughs) and i'm really tired of the foster narrative i'm really tired of seeing and i generally say you know we have act one where they're they come into the house and then act two is them acting up and they're a really troubled person and then by act three it's the child who understands that they have a family now and they let it all go. And it's all the parents saving them from this life. And I, I'm really, really tired of that narrative. I think it's awful. I think the intentions are probably good, but I don't think it benefits anyone because it's not a parent saving a child from this thing. You know, if anything, our children have completely enriched our lives and we've learned so much from them. Talk about being inspired to overcome things and still do it with a smile on your face. Like, It's just incredible. The stuff that they've been through and can still laugh and can still dance and still do all these things is just really, really inspiring. But I have been able to connect with other kids who are adults now but grew up in the foster system and a few parents. And I think we're in our own little unique bubble. You know, it's it's hard. We adopted our kids through the foster system. There's, you know, not everyone does it that way. But it was really important to me to do it that way. We, I think we've talked about this before. When we were younger, people offered to be a surrogate and we had all those kind of, all of that. And I just, for me, it was not what I believed we were meant to do. There are a lot of kids. We just got a information in the state of Arizona where we are now. There's like 25,000 kids without anywhere to go. And during the pandemic, it's made it even Jeez, worse. 25,000. I hear that kind of stuff. And I just like, I don't, and I'm not judging anybody else who does it any other way. But for me, I can't just bring another child into this world. Like when there's this and when Jack came, who was our first. And I remember he was only seven. He had just turned seven, four days before. 
And how many people said he was an older child? And then how many people would hear these things? Are you sure you want to bring in an older child? They have a lot of problems. And I they like have a lot of problems. I guess I I had heard that yeah. before, but I wasn't a dad. Sure. And then and that will I think about my kids too much. I'll get very emotional. Especially my little Jack. He's like just a light. He's just a ball of sunshine. He's the greatest thing. And anyone that said it, he was a problem or that any of my kids from infancy on somehow they were the root of these problems, you know, I just, I don't, that is one thing I don't think I have patience for. I don't have tolerance for that. And I will like go at you real quick. Again, it sure. might not be the greatest thing, but that's just what happens. But then I saw Star Wars completely different too. And the found family aspect really started to shift. And I connected to that in a lot of ways. And I think a lot of other people did, but it really is. It's just, it's a really tough world. These, these little people go through a lot. And then, you know, I think what happened on the podcast is we were able to share a story that was, and I'm using air quotes here, a real family. And we are just a real family. We're just like everybody else. And we all had different stories to get to where we got. But I think what I'm hoping, and I, I feel we're successful and it's just kind of normalizing another kind of family. And I think we talk about enough that has just normalized our situation a little bit for some, some other people that maybe don't see that perspective all the time. And so I'm really proud of that. It wasn't something planned for, but it just kind of happened. Perfect. So I just need to say to Brian, you and the listeners, how much Pink Milk has influenced my understanding, appreciation, interaction with Star Wars. Because you tell this story about adoption and about found family and about the way some other foster parents expect their children to be a certain way. Or You've mentioned specifically children hoarding their food because they feel like... Their experiences have taught them that that's something they have to do and their parents don't understand. So their parents sort of lash out or say, why are they doing this or punish the children in some way? And to put it back in the context of Star Wars, the first time I heard you and Tom talk about that on your podcast, soon after that, I rewatched The Phantom Menace Mm -hmm. and watching that movie with what you and Tom had said ringing through my head Mm -hmm. completely changed that movie for me. It's exactly what you're describing. With, and I don't mean to take away from this. This is a very real world problem and, and it's heartbreaking and it is a reality, unfortunately, for some kids. But in the perspective of what we're talking about in Star Wars, rewatch The Phantom Menace and seeing Qui-Gon as an adoptive father to Anakin and then the Jedi Council being more of his adoptive parents and projecting exactly that sentiment onto him where they're not accepting and there's too much fear. I mean, he's nine years old. Mm -hmm. He didn't grow up as the rest of like the younglings and the Padawans did. So they have no concept of how, you know, kids who aren't raised by the Jedi grow up out in the galaxy. And so he's nine and he gets taken away from his mother and he gets adopted by these people, but that, that, that the Jedi Council blames him for the defensives that he's putting up, standing in front of them as a nine-year-old, mm-hmm. surrounded, literally surrounded. They did that to him. And then we're like, you know, you were supposed to destroy the Sith, not join them. My point is that a completely new perspective. You opened my eyes. I saw that through such a new lens and it made me appreciate the prequel trilogy so much more and in such a different way. Mm. And then Ahsoka does it later to Grogu, right? It's the same thing. And because she grew up programmed by the Jedi in that way, she did the same thing to Grogu. But you know who doesn't do that? And I think this is going to come up a little bit later. But you know who doesn't do that from what I remember? Kanan and Hera. Man, everything you just said, 
I, I mean, I grew up loving the Jedi and dreaming of what the Jedi were going to be. And then I was introduced to the prequels when they came out and I had just come out and to myself when they came out and I was experiencing a lot of friends and family just leaving. And it was a lot as a little 18 year old kid to handle. And so I related to the Jedi in this way of that, that scene with, with Anakin and they're like, they're blaming him for being upset. And it really did not sit well with me. And the prequels finished out. And I really think that's what George Lucas was. That was his intention. He succeeded in us not liking the Jedi. And people are upset that we don't like the Jedi because we wanted to. But that was not the point of the prequels. The prequels really showed us that they had an equal part in him becoming Darth Vader as the Emperor did. And that people don't change because of one person. People change because of a lot of people around them. And sometimes the good person does the wrong thing. And I think that's a really important lesson. And anyways, then I, when I became a father, now that scene means something so different to me because yeah, like you said, I, I, I've met a lot of other foster parents now going through training and, and some of the way that these people talk about these kids, it makes me so angry. And I'm like, and some of the foster parents that my children have had horrible like horrible. I know how hard it is. Like I went through it too. And I, I have raised three young kids with trauma and it is not easy. It's really, really, really hard sometimes. I'm not the same person as I was before. Not because of my children, my children have made me a better person, but the process and seeing the system and I have nothing but respect for the foster system. And my heart goes out to like social workers and I understand how they arrive, but some of them are really horrible. And seeing a judge tell me that my husband and I are an unfit home because we're two men basically is just something. And I'm like, but I know the houses that you kept him in before. Yeah. And I've seen a kid who like when my little, when my little Eli came, he was a six year old kid and he could barely walk because no one taught him how to walk. He had never been on a bike before and he didn't even have the strength to move the pedals. Like he was neglected so horribly for so long that he didn't know how to do any of those things. And I watched this kid who looked like a skeleton when he first came to now having just nothing. There was nothing behind his eyes, nothing. It's just, it's utterly heartbreaking. And to see him coming into himself and and learning and, and figuring out what a human being is. And then to have a judge tell you that that's, you're still not good enough. You know, and I see the Jedi Council. I'm like, this shit happened. Oh, excuse me, sorry. No, <laughs> this stuff fine. happens in real life. You know, people say that to these little kids. And no, getting punched in the face by a four-year-old is really difficult. But someone got that little kid there. You know, someone put that anger there and they have the right to be angry. And I feel sometimes, as hard as it is, it is not our place to tell them they have no right to be angry. Anakin just lost his mother. Of course he's upset. Yeah. Of course he is upset. And he has every right to be Upset, you know, that I, I talk about this a lot. I said it here. Nothing good brought my children to me. Mm. Their parents made a lot of poor choices and were unfit and put my kids' lives in danger. I, I had a story where my sister-in-law, who I do not speak to anymore, and most of it's because of these things, was always just so concerned that our kids didn't call us dad or they didn't call us dad right away and it must be insulting and all of these things. I'm like, you know, first of all, my children will call me whatever they want to. And a name doesn't mean that I am more or less than than anything else. And I'm not here to replace their parents. And that was something that I don't think I fully understood until I had my own kids. They have bio parents and they will love them forever. And I have to work really, really hard to not 
think poorly of them. They are still their parents, and I have to find room to love them for my own children's sake, because I never want my kids to think that they can't love them. I need my kids to understand that they made poor choices and that maybe they can't live with them anymore. And I want nothing more than all of them, if they choose to, to see their parents again. That was a, that was something I was never given. I had said, I, I don't know who my bio dad is. I don't know their name. I don't know anything. And I was in my mid-20s when I really started to confront, confront a lot of it. I think what happened was I came out and it was gay. And that like took a big chunk of my life to process that. And then after that, I had to process the fact that I don't know who my bio dad is. And that's still something that I struggle with. And I was told by my mother, it's not my business. And I like that is I just can't wrap my hand around how someone say that it's not my business. And I took that with my kids, you know, and I, I, I do. I hear other and other foster parents like getting mad that they don't call them mom or dad or I'm like, why does it matter? Don't put that. That's so selfish. Do I like that I'm called dad now? A hundred percent. Did I want it then? Of course I did. I'm a human being and you want that confirmation, but it's not my place to dictate that. And then what happens is when they do start calling you dad, that stuff means a lot more <laughs> because I earned it. It's a choice that they made. Yeah. And I earned it. They feel safe and trusted enough that they do that. And that means a whole lot more than being told to do it. It's really, really impactful. And you, and yes, Canaan and Hera, that ghost crew, let me tell you, I had no idea how important those people were going to be until I have what I have now. I didn't have my kids when that show was on. I really look up to them for this perfect way of raising a mixed family and a family of people with different stories. It's something that I've said, especially lately, as one now deemed an older queer, <laughs> in quotes. <laughs> um, but then as a dad of adopted kids, like, and I think every parent should take this from their kids. Listen to your kids. Listen to them. They haven't been beaten down by society yet to tell you certain things that what's acceptable is not acceptable. From an emotional perspective, kids are the most honest. And I think, I think society has a lot to learn from children. I think as an older queer person, in quotes again, I have a lot to learn from a younger group of people. I have scars that I have an inability to see through anymore. And like I said earlier, I'm working through it because I don't like it, but they're there and I'm working every day. And to hear younger people with different perspectives has really opened me up. And that's like, there's gifts that Pink Milk brought that I never could have anticipated. People like you and the words that you share have really fundamentally changed me as a human being. I think I'm, I've become a much softer person than I used to be. You know, once the walls came down and having kids, I realized there was a lot of macho stuff that I think a lot of guys were brought up. You can't cry. You can't do this. You can't, you're, you're less than if you, and then you put a gay person on top of that. And then gay people do it to other gay people because we all have our inner homophobic trash that we're going through. And I didn't want to put that on my kids. And so I'm like, I have to just drop all this cold Turkey. Cause I don't want my little ones to ever feel this way. And then pink milk came and let all my guard down and to see how many people have responded to that in such a positive way has really changed me a lot. And I'm just beyond grateful. I thought I was going to talk about Star Wars. I didn't think I was going to come out as a better human being <laughs> because of it. All right. And it just speaks to your openness, right? You've been so open to all of this stuff and that openness has really percolated into pink milk, into everything you do with pink milk. And again, I'm a huge fan and it just is so incredible to see that openness anywhere, anywhere, right? But within the Star Wars fandom where certainly you don't see it as much mainstream. So I think it's 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 very unique and it's very 
accepting, right? Like so many people can feel safe in that community because of you sharing these things. You're vulnerable everywhere, Brian, like on Husband and Husband, every week on After Dark, and it just creates such a healthy, open community. Thank you. And I just love it. We all love it. Thank just you. want you to know that. It's, it's something that you all do really well, too. I think, I mean, I was afraid when I hopped online. Twitter's scary, and I didn't know anything. And I came on talking about how much I loved Ray Skywalker, and I didn't understand the amount of nastiness that I got from it. Some of the comments that we got on YouTube, I'm just like, oh, wow, this is... This is a little bonkers. Yeah. I remember a tweet you, I don't know if I interacted with this tweet, but months ago when you and I first connected, you had tweeted like a picture of one of your kids watching Star Wars. And some dude was like, don't you think they're a little young? (laughs) And you were like, young for what? And they were like, Star Wars. But that's just my opinion. And I was like, what? Why even say anything then? Like, that's like every level of bullshit you get. And that's and it's like, that's one of them. Like, you're coming to say that it's too young for this other person's kids to be watching Star Wars. It just uh-huh. blows my mind. Well, like, I'll take that. How people come at you and other people. Yeah. I'll take that but more than the uh, your kids should be taken away from me because being gay is disgusting. Oh, sure. <laughs> sure, 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 sure. Yeah. But I think. Sake. One of the things that I love that you do, and I, you know, the reason that I think it's so great that you share perspectives, one of the things I really appreciate on After Dark is I think Mark, Emma, Chase, Knight don't agree more than we do agree on a lot of things. And I think it's really healthy because I think there are moments where people are afraid to share their opinion because one, they're afraid they're going to be attacked for it. Two, they're afraid that they'll lose followers or lose whatever. And I think, at least for me, and maybe this is me coming out when I did, I felt the need to sometimes I had to be very out and gay and very vocal because we exist. And so I I didn't like not being able to exist. So sometimes I turned on the gay for lack of a better word, more so in certain situations, because like I am here and I you're going to hear what I have to say because I am here and I have the right to be here. And maybe I've taken that into even just an opinion on Star Wars. I don't think anyone should ever be afraid to share their opinion on Star Wars. Like And unfortunately, people are afraid because of the things that people say, you know, and I feel like it's a really difficult situation because I I would never say you have to. But at some point, enough people need to start doing it to normalize different opinions in Star Wars. Then other people can hopefully do that. You know, it's a it's really it's complicated. It it shouldn't be this way. It's so I don't understand. The Internet should be this place where we can all learn different perspectives and like. Exactly. Like if you think Star Wars is too young for your kid to watch, then don't let them watch Star Wars. Yeah. <laughs> you don't need to go comment on someone you don't know. Right. <laughs> okay. Just... <laughs> I don't know. You know, Michael just did this. Who's my youngest Who I uh, and my other fellow super fan in the house. And this is like to go back to listen to your kids because they're just honest. And my little one inspires me every single day. All of my kids have come through and just blossomed and become these really wonderful people and i can't wait to see who they become as they get older but we were coming back from a soccer game and we had to stop at the store and michael wanted to stop at the makeup aisle and i was like okay and he's like you're okay i'm like yeah that's where you want to go that's fine and he stops and he's seven mind you and he's a very young seven and he's like well daddy you know let me just say this i don't know if I want to wear makeup, but I also think that everyone needs to know that it's okay if a boy wants to wear makeup. And I was just like, <laughs> like how profound is a I statement suppose, yeah. like that? Like how 
do parents not listen to your like listen listen to what they have to say there's so much amazing things that will come out that will just I don't know if I want to do this but I might feel the need to make a statement that it's also okay for other people to do this like <laughs> truly Jesus. wonderful the mind of a child yes. is right and normalizing a new kind of family in your words and listening to your kids I want to talk about The Bad Batch. You do a wonderful episode on queer coding in The Bad Batch. It's later in the season. Tech says children exaggerate. And Omega yells at him. No, they don't. And then they go and address the problem. I want to talk about The Bad Batch and how we've talked about your evolution as a fan with every sort of step of your journey. And I want to talk how The Bad Batch, you know, in recent history, has been through that lens for you. You know... I don't know where I sit with Bad Batch yet. And it's also too early to tell because it's had one season. When it first started, I really loved it. And I I really relate to that show first. I started to relate to it as a queer person. And I feel that those characters are like the gay clones in Star Wars. They are just like all of the other clones, but somehow they're a little different. The Jedi didn't like them because they weren't the clones they were used to. The Empire didn't like them because they weren't the clones they were used to. The clones didn't like them because they weren't like them. And one thing that I talk about a lot, especially more recently, as a gay dude and allyship, that, again, I, I, I try to share my opinions, and I don't want it to ever totally shame someone, but allies a lot of times say, I'm not gay, but I support gay people. But they want to make sure they get the I'm not gay out there real quick. Yeah. Because I don't want you to perceive me as that. And I think that's something that gay people struggle with a lot is because we look just like everybody else. We could be one of you. And that makes some people just so uncomfortable because you can't just tell. And it creates a lot of horrible dynamics within the gay community that I hope get better. I hope are getting better. But I really related to that. I really related to we went through all of the Clone Wars and we really became we fell in love with the clones and the fact that they address each other as brothers and they were this really tight knit family who loved and supported one another. And then they're introduced with some brothers that are a little different than them. And all of a sudden they're shunned. Yeah, it was a lot. It was a lot. I related to them that way very, very, very much. They got, they were, they were outed. <laughs> they were outed there in Clone Wars and in season seven on whatever planet that was, Christophus or whatever planet it was, doesn't matter. And now they're dealing with it. And now they have a kid. And you're right. And that line of the text said to her was so insulting. And it speaks to everything I just said. I'm like, you know what? It might be my son losing his Hot Wheel might be the biggest devastating thing that he felt that day. That doesn't mean that it's less than just because it's a hot wheel like to them that's their emotions and i we have to meet kids where they are we have to meet people where they are i feel that way even as a queer person when i'm talking to someone else who doesn't like queer people i am not someone who yells and screams i will if i need to and i've been through it all but i try my best to always meet people where they are to try to understand where they're coming from it's not always easy it can be incredibly difficult but i feel and have always felt my purpose is to maybe change one little person. Maybe one person can see me as something more than just a sexual act. That's where we stop. Gay men get a lot of stuff thrown their way, Mm -hmm. and it never has to do anything with other than sex. And that's because we're not even human beings. And that goes back to the AIDS epidemic. We We were boiled down to just that. And we still are facing that. We're facing that within each other. We're facing that outside. And there are, you know, lots of queer people have to go through lots of horrible things. But that's what I still have to deal with. 
I felt all of that in the Bad Batch. And I'm looking forward to more of their stories. And I'm looking for, I love Omega. And I love Omega does remind me of Michael in the, the assuredness of who she is, you know? And don't ever take that away from her. Don't let her lose that because it's us older people that ruin that for little kids. You know, we take that away from them. There's a way to, you know, express to your child if they lose that Hot Wheels that it's okay. There's a way to express that without taking away how traumatic it was for them, you know? Like you can show them something. But I, I, there was another line in, in Bad Batch that I love of, I might understand you, but that doesn't mean I agree with you. I think is such a profound thing. And then Hunter says to Crosshair at the last episode, we might not agree, but we don't have to be enemies. And there's so many lessons. And that's like, you know, I think Twitter needs to learn. <laughs> we might not agree, but we don't yeah. need to be enemies. <laughs> Agreed. Yes. I will say difference of perspective. I don't exactly agree with the context that Hunter said mm-hmm. that in, but I agree with the mm-hmm. message. You're right. Those two lines in that show, just incredible lessons. Yep. And that's why I love that show. And that's something that you, I'm being honest here and I'm fanboying out, but it's honest. And it's something that you and Pink Milk has taught me the found family idea. Like I, I came in, I started making this podcast as a passion project and started look, trying to look at Star Wars through like a more uh, content creator way. And then I started listening to Pink Milk and then the found family stuff, a whole new lens. And then on top of that, questioning my connection and my place in Star Wars and in the fandom and and my journey through that in the past you know, however long you and I have been talking and however long I've been listening to Pink Milk is just, uh, I can't tell you what a journey it's been for me to actually sit down and be like, why do I like this? And why do I like other stuff that I like and putting like a why to it? And that's something, honestly, you have done for me. Thank you. We've talked about that. I think as queer people, when we're coming out, we have to question everything, everything. And if you lose yeah. people, you have to question why. And there's just so much questioning that I think that is something that I don't know how to be any other way. That's stuff that I've learned from podcasting. And I hope I say this and I hope people understand I am like not remotely <laughs> exaggerating and how much people like you and the kind words have really helped me. I'm very grateful because I think I'm going to be, I am a better father because of these kinds of things. This is all stuff I did not know was happening. Like I said, I hope I was a good, I was a good person before. Don't get me wrong. But like, I was so afraid to share things because it's really hard. It's hard to be that vulnerable. You know, it's really, yep. it's just tough. It's tough. I was that close to Tom. That was it. Tom is the only other person that I would share certain kinds of things with because that was my safety net then I don't know what it was. Maybe it's because it's recorded in my own house and I feel really safe in my little bubble <laughs> and I'm hiding behind a mic. And so there's like a delay before anyone. I was really nervous with that in, on the live streams. I'm like, oh my God, I'm never going to cry on the live stream. I'm not going to be able to talk about this stuff. Like I'm like right there. That didn't last very long. <laughs> it's also great. And that you bring people in. It's such a supportive, healthy group <laughs> in the chat, even like, <sighs> Everyone in the chat on Friday nights is incredible. It's, yeah, the steam room. We call it the steam room because the steam room, y'all yeah. can get thirsty in there sometimes. <laughs> also something I think <laughs> you and the crew have inspired us all to be. <laughs> it is the best chat room. Like, it is yeah. the best. I A few weeks ago, we had Brian Higa on the live stream. Yeah, he's also just the yeah, best. Great. Like, great. 
he had come into the steam room one night and that night for some reason i noticed it more maybe that particular whatever it was i looked at the right time into the chat room right and he's like first time here and i just saw message after message of welcome 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 and was like oh my god this is like really incredible because we all watch other live streams and you know sometimes you put a chat in and now, granted, we're not massive. It's not like there's like hundreds and hundreds of people in there. But like I've been in plenty of chat rooms where there's like five, six, seven, eight, ten people. And you say hello and you're just kind of ignored because everyone just wants to ask the questions, you know? Right, right. And I watch back a lot of times. Like I'll fast forward through our streams and see what everybody had to say, you know, because I feel like we're all we're all a little family. We're all friends. And I want to know what yeah. everyone had to say that night when you're live. You can't see everything all the time. But it's just this really supportive other little group. It's this whole like separate like friend group over there. And there's this whole separate thing happening sometimes that's completely independent from whatever we're talking about on the stream. And it is just like, I feel really lucky to be a part of that. Like, I don't know how that happened, but I'm really, really lucky to be a part of it because I think it's there's some really great people. So going back to the to the found family stuff and your connections. Which Star Wars do you think does found family the best? Like the most healthy way of telling that story. I'm going to give you two answers. Perfect. I mean, Rebels, hands down, is the best. Kanan and Hera are like perfection. (laughs) Like they are role models. That's what I have here. Yeah, that's what I have here is Brian's answer. But I will say that the Mandalorian, I think, is handling it the most honest and again, I love The Mandalorian so much. Din Djarin has become, in my holy trinity, a favorite characters. I have said this before. I've never related so much to a character one-to-one as I do Din Djarin. And I mean, I look around my room and I have like Boba Fett stuff everywhere because I'm an 80s kid and Boba Fett looks rad. But I'm not like some Boba Fett stan, right? Like, And when Mandalorian <laughs> was announced as the first live-action Star Wars, I was like, really? <sighs> I was, I'm not gonna lie. I was a little bummed. I was like, I, the Mandalorian stuff and Clone Wars is cool, but I'm not like a huge, like that isn't my go-to Star Wars story. Right. And I was like, I mean, I guess maybe, I guess it makes sense. All right. And then that first episode came out and I was like, oh my God. And then Grogu was introduced and I'm like, oh my God. And it was just so good. And I related to this when Jack first came. I remember one of my first conversations with Tom was, I hope he isn't gay. And how horrible of a feeling is that? And it was multi-level, you know, I was like, one, it's really tough. Then I was like, I don't want to have made him gay by being gay. Uh, So I've carried that with me because it's a really horrible thing. It's a really horrible thing to say out loud. It's a horrible thing to feel. And I was like, what garbage am I still holding on to that I wouldn't want that? You know, I I was all the people, if you have kids, you're going to make them gay. And and like, that's a horrible, horrible, horrible sentiment. But it's honesty. And that was one of the things about Din Djarin that are really related to you. Meet this person who felt and continues to feel so little of himself for lots of reasons is introduced to this little baby that he has to take care of that he does not feel worthy of having. And we watch this character become more and more worthy of having this child and the responsibilities that he's got to work through, you know? And then we get season two where like he kind of accepts that he's a father, but still doesn't. And then put his kid for like... There's just so much about the inner workings, I think. I'll just speak for me as a gay dad. Never thinking I was going to get that. I don't think Din Djarin ever thought he was going to be a father. And I don't think Din thinks he's worthy of being... I think he's getting there, but he doesn't feel worthy. And to see that play out in real time and have a child save a father in the way that Groku is saving Din is the kind of foster story that I want to start seeing more of. It is so beautiful. It's so perfect. And I think it's a really, really honest 
story. I had no idea that show was going to give me that. And I really can't wait for season three because we all know that <laughs> little Grogu isn't with him right now. And I don't know. Den's not gonna be able to handle that. There's no way. Cause he's his daddy. <laughs> I'm really looking forward to seeing how they're going to handle that, how they're going to address that. Right. Because who on the show thinks Grogu is not coming back? Are you one? I'm um, not, uh, uh, no comment. Okay. <laughs> um, <laughs> I think on that episode, our expectations for season three, listeners go back and listen. I think on that episode, my my point was, or I'm going to retcon my point to be, I wouldn't be surprised if they don't bring Grogu back this season. And that it will give us time to maybe experience what Din goes through without Grogu. And, and again, like you're saying, understand that he can be a good parent to this child. Like, again, his experiences taught him that he's not going to be good at this, whether it's because he's a foundling adoptive story, Mm -hmm. right? Or because he's a Mandalorian or both, he doesn't think he's worthy and he gives this child over. Little does he know that the Jedi are pretty terrible at that point of being parents. (laughs) But it like the, again, something I considered because of you and pink milk and, and, and stuff you've talked about, like what you just said, like the removal of his helmet at the end of that episode, lifting the weight of that trauma and that those experiences, those traumatic experiences off of his shoulders, which is something I did not say articulately in <laughs> no, yes, you did. our episode. No, you did, did. <laughs> because I was really mad at you for a hot minute. And if this was live streaming, yeah, yeah. I had my tea, Tiki, I would have been sipping it when I asked you that question. Uh, I'm so sorry. <laughs> <laughs> but you did. And it's, You know, when Din takes that helmet off and that moment is him, I think, accepting the fact to himself that it's not about him anymore. Oh, God. Emotional wreck. (laughs) So good. Such an amazing moment. Yeah. Also, can't wait for season three. It's really interesting right now what you're saying about Din, because at the beginning of this interview, we talked about how you connected to Star Wars and that you really connected to Luke and everything he went through and in Empire seeing that experience in the cave has the character you connect with most changed as you've changed? You know, I think that's one of the reasons that I have to have my Holy Trinity because Luke was my <laughs> childhood hero. I'm still inspired yeah. by Luke every day. Then I met Ahsoka and yeah, the moment in season five when she walks away from the Jedi order, really, I've, I have goosebumps yeah. just thinking <laughs> about that. Scene. As so many people do, it's such an, a powerful, it's such a powerful moment. Again, I am not exaggerating when I say I'm not the same person after that episode aired. Like, I love Star Wars so much. It is how I work through my emotions. I don't think I have an, an ability to, like, work through emotions any other way that could be healthy, could be unhealthy. I have no idea, but that's just the way it is. And when she walked away from all of those people that didn't treat her well, that didn't believe in her as a queer person, live that. But she was able to do it without being angry at them. That was something that I did not have the ability to do back then. I was really mad at a lot of people. I was mad at society. I was mad at a lot of people for the way that I felt I was being treated and other people like me were being treated. Earlier in this conversation, it's like I try really hard to meet people where they're at and to understand that. And it's because of that moment. And it's because Ahsoka is the kind of character who will meet people where they're at. So one of the things I love about her in The Mandalorian when she is fine with people calling her a Jedi because there's been a lot of discourse. There's no retconning going on. It's not about her in this moment. It's about little baby Grogu yeah. and Din. She's not going to correct him. Not about her. I learned that. And then now there's Din. And now I have this perspective of Din that I don't know how I'd feel about Din. 
if I wasn't a dad. I talked about we're an interracial family too. There are things, there's aspects to some of my children that I'm not going to be able to understand on a one-to-one level. Din has to handle that. I don't know if I would say that my my favorite characters have changed. I think the things I look for in each character might be a little different. And I think I feel like those three characters hit me at different stages of my life. So as my life goes on, I don't know what will happen. But like right now, I just I code those characters with certain parts of my life. And when I need to do whatever, I can see them through those eyes. That makes sense. Yeah, that does make sense. That character that gives you strength to get through whatever. Mm-hmm. Man, I love Star Wars. I love that Star yeah, Wars gave me that. I do too. <laughs> On the record, for the record, I love Star Wars. We both love Star Wars. What made you want to start Pink Milk? Everything we just talked about, you have all these incredible connections to Star Wars. Did that want to express that sort of creative side of you Mm. did that play into wanting to start pink milk i mean i'm a creative person like i'm a creative professional like for a living comic books right i did do comics i'm a graphic designer for mortgage payments (laughs) (laughs) so i'm a big fan of turning zero whatever number that is i'm a big fan like i couldn't wait to be 20 and that's where it kind of started because i was just gonna be able to be gay and not care anymore if friends left or whatever it was this new beginning right i was off on my own i had been on my own for a little while by that point but When I turned 30, I was in the restaurant business. Like I said, I was there for a very, very long time. And it was just somewhere that I I liked and I was really successful at it. I mean, I bought a couple of houses and paid my way through college all doing that. I was I was good at it and I was proud of what I had done, but it was not giving me the life that I wanted. I was not someone who wanted to work till five in the morning. I'm a (laughs) traditional person. I like my dinner with my family and I wasn't gonna be able to have that life. So I was turning 30. I'm like, what am I going to do? And I started writing comics and I started doing indie comics and I did that for a long time and it didn't go exactly how I wanted it to go down. I don't know. I wasn't talented enough. Doesn't just didn't, it just didn't happen for me, whatever reasons, right? They did lead me into my career that I have now. So that's fantastic. But when I was turning 40, my son, Jack, who's the oldest, wants to be a YouTuber because he's a kid growing up now. So of course, that's what he wants to do. And I didn't know anything. I mean, I watched YouTube. Like I am someone who watches more YouTube and listens to podcasts more than I do like any TV show. Like that's my entertainment is all those things. I had been talking about doing a podcast before, but I don't know anything. Sometimes you can tell when my mics go out during our recordings because I don't know how to fix these kinds of things, but I learn. I try. <laughs> and and like I said, then I was like, I want to hear a gay person talk about Star Wars and I can't find it. I can't find it. So I guess it's going to have to be me. And I wanted to start a show for that and then mostly to learn what it was like so I could help my kid eventually have a YouTube show, which is so funny. And I was like, yeah, no, I'm not interested. Oh, Just the other so day. Great. I'm not interested, Dad. I watch you do all this. It's a lot of work. And I'm like, for what? <laughs> Like, oh, what a preteen answer. I love you. It's so funny. (laughs) But it's also the question I ask myself um, every so often. And yeah, then I was 40. So I was like, well, here we go. It's a zero. I'm going to spend the next 10 years as a podcaster. I'm going to figure this out. And that's how I'm going to define my 40s. And so that was really, I mean, that was really it is the zero. I find a lot of power in a zero being able to redefine yourself and use the past decade as as building blocks to where you want to go next. So that was really it. I don't know. I was going to give it a year. I was like, I'll give this a year and see what happens. And if nobody listens, maybe I won't care. We all do this. So people listen at the same time. So like, if you're not getting anything out of it, you know, it's kind of, it's kind of hard. And I have to say that round table that I mentioned earlier came at a really good time because that was almost our first year. 
whatever success is for each person is different. But for me, we were not successful. We were not doing what I wanted to do. I hadn't found our total connection yet. Tom's not a super fan. And sometimes if you listen to us, you can tell. You try to answer, ask a question. He's like, because I liked it. (laughs) (laughs) Bail Organa or something like that. favorite character is Kylo Ren. He can never remember what Kylo Ren's name is, like, which is so adorable. And I love every minute of it because it's also a very important part of the show. But it was getting to the point it was really hard to talk to someone who couldn't talk about Star Wars. I'm like, oh, my God, this has been a year and I'm working real hard um, and I can talk. And so that's saying something it was getting hard. But anyways, those roundtables came and it gave me another moment of, oh, there's something else happening here. And I'm glad I stuck around because... Now I feel that we're successful. I feel like we're reaching an audience that I don't didn't think we could and we're growing a lot still. It's pretty cool and I love I've now learned to love that we put out a different kind of Star Wars talk that isn't just surface level. This is what happens in The Empire Strikes Back and this is why Empire Strikes Back is my favorite and then the next episode is this is why Empire Strikes Back is the best Star Wars movie. <laughs> and then the third episode is this is why Empire Strikes Back should be like every other Star Wars movie. Uh-huh. No tea, no shade, Empire Strikes Back is great. But, you know, it's more than just that. And yeah. I'm glad that we found an audience who appreciates that kind of Star Wars conversation, you know? So I don't know if that answers your question, but that's my answer. And yeah, no, relating <laughs> Star Wars to how it connects with life and your experiences, but being open to what it means to others and their Mm -hmm. experiences. What do you think made you open to others' perspectives when so often people are not? And especially, again, in Star Wars fandom, it's it's very unique for anyone to appreciate and not be close-minded to someone else's perspective. In your interview with Justina Ireland, which is great, and she's writing the New Republic stuff, and everyone go and listen to that interview, You say something like, you don't like the rise of Skywalker, but Mm -hmm. your pink milk community keeps coming back, even though some of them might disagree. You obviously exude this ability to be open, right? You you bring all these people in because of your ability to do that. So what do you think made you able to do that? Yeah, I don't know. You know, it's so funny. I really am proud of that. Like, I'm really proud of that because I've been pretty open how much I don't like it. I want (laughs) to like it and I'm going to figure it out. I also say that all the time, too. You sure do, Uh, yes. But I really am proud of that because I've followed podcasters before that some of it was literally the rise of Skywalker. I'm like, I can't even listen to anymore. Like, I can't listen. There is a way to say you don't like something without taking away from somebody else. So that's really great. Someone a few months ago, and they've come back and said it a few times, really impacted me a lot. And she sent a message saying, thank you for making straight people feel comfortable in your space. And I'm like, what? I mean, right, I didn't, right. It took a while. Like, I didn't understand. I'm like, how would you not feel comfortable in my space? I'm so used to being the one who's not comfortable somewhere else. Like, like it was really like it was this I've never felt. Oh, how do I say this, this is going to sound really arrogant and please don't take it as an arrogant thing. But like, I didn't understand I had the power to make someone else feel uncomfortable. Like, I'm always the one who's got to figure out how to make themselves feel comfortable because nobody's going to make me feel OK. I was like, wow, I feel really lucky that. I also found co-hosts that are just really good and genuine people. I think the fact that I'm married to someone who is so profoundly different than me has helped. Like I said earlier, I'm really, I really am someone who actively seeks out people that are different than me. I just, I don't know why I've always been that way. I do think as a queer person, we have these conversations on pink milk too. Like because we're a minority, then there's minorities within the minority. There's a lot of different layers to being queer. 
And sometimes I think it makes us more open to people that we wouldn't normally be open to because there's not a lot of us to begin with. And so you find your crew and you hang out with them. I'm very proud. I don't know what it is. So I don't know if I can really answer that super well, but I'm really, really proud of it. And if I can make someone feel that way, like what else could you ask for? I mean, honestly. (laughs) Well, uh, hopefully everyone listening takes this seriously. Pink Milk is the gold standard for Star Wars fandom and content creation. You've read these words from me many times, but I just wanted to get it on the record once again. The importance of your influence on my particular Star Wars journey is so powerful and has had such an impact on me and has changed the way I love and live Star Wars. And I'm a much better fan for it. Like, much better. Like, you can go and listen to the early episodes of Krypton to Alderaan. I would prefer if no one did. But you could track my evolution of how to talk about it over time. And it's largely because of you and Pink Milk. Just thank you again. I don't know. I thank, probably have thanked you a bunch in this particular episode. but Can't do it enough. I appreciate it. But it's the, the feeling is completely mutual. Like, in all honesty, like I get to have this relationship with people that I never would have had before because I'm not like I'm not someone who can hop on Twitter or hop on Instagram or hop on Facebook and feel real connections super easily. But because there's this other thing that I feel like I'm I'm really honest, you know, we're all putting on a show to try to be fun, but there's no (laughs) show. This is just, you know what I mean? I'm really good and bad qualities of myself that I talk about. I've been able to have this relationship with people like you that I wouldn't normally get. That is given that is enriched Star Wars for me so much. And again, like I said, I never really had Star Wars people much before Pink Milk. It's always meant a lot to me. But to be able to share it, the kinds of conversations I get to have now, that feeling is really, really mutual. Like, and that's just who knew that would have happened. And I've met more people than I ever thought we would have too. Like, I just it's it's a really it's a great relationship now with a lot of people. One last thing, everyone's favorite segment of Krypton to Alderaan, (laughs) the surprise question. We've obviously talked a lot about found family, and I love hearing you talk about your family, and your family is beautiful and perfect just the way it is. But my surprise question is, it's not really a question. It's more of a call to action. (laughs) Can you build your family with Star Wars characters, the ones that you relate to the most and the ones you think correspond to your family oh my gosh this is a this is fantastic (laughs) i've done this with x-men but i've never done it with star wars people okay let me start with michael my -hmm. youngest ahsoka like michael is ahsoka to the t a very confident wise beyond his years sometimes snippy (laughs) in the best ways in the worst ways also all my poor children who grow up with two sassy gay dads and some of their humor is very funny. And I'm like, oh my God. <laughs> Use that that joke is for inside the house. That doesn't even go outside the house. Um, no, you know what? Bring it outside the house. Normalize it. I think my son Eli would be C3PO. Don't think I need to extrapolate on that. <laughs> Jack is my oldest son. I'm going to say Solo era Han Solo. Mm. I call him my fox. I call him the fox because foxes are really cute and no one takes them seriously and they're little and they bounce around. They have a cute little tail, right? But you put a fox in a corner, it's going to come out swinging and you're not going to be okay. And that is my son, Jack, who he's one of those people who I 
he is the kindest soul. He, well, so is oh, honestly, all my kids are. I'm very, very blessed and fortunate. But my, Jack is so kind and playful and just fun. He is fun. But do not ever mistake that for weakness and do not ever try to cross <laughs> him and don't take him advantage of him. And I love it about like, I love it about him. I think it's the greatest thing. So I'll say Han Solo. Tom. Oh, God. Let's see my let's say Poe Dameron, because Poe Dameron, I could see him being like, yeah, it's good. That's why he also has a very good hiney. And let's just be real. <laughs> Oscar Isaac has a very nice hiney. <laughs> and me, this is a difficult one. I oftentimes joke that I'm really Palpatine and I, for years now, have made people think that I'm really nice, but I'm not, but I'm really joking. I aspire to be Luke Skywalker. I aspire to always want to see what's coming next, sometimes to a fault and focus too much on the future. I've gotten better at that as I get older. But even, you know, Luke went through his cranky moment, felt disenfranchised as a queer dude. I felt disenfranchised for a while. But I was able to listen to the people that were younger than me and people that came before, and they kind of helped redefine what I could be. And I think Luke Skywalker went through that journey. There we go. Great. (laughs) We did it. We built your family out of Star Wars characters, and I love it. (laughs) And I love all the reasons. Oh, it's so great. Thank you. Well, I think that that's it. Brian, thanks so much for joining me and having these conversations and for being comfortable here to have these conversations. I love it and it means a lot to me and thank you so much. Well, you're the one creating a spot that makes people feel comfortable because you, all of you are true, genuine people. Your podcast makes people feel like they know you and feel comfortable and we're all just hanging out, maybe having some sippies and playing a really long game of Monopoly because Monopoly is really boring, but it's one thing to bring everybody around a table and we just talk about all sorts of different things. So thank you. And thank you for um, being so supportive of Pink Milk. And you mentioned us on your show and it means a lot. And thank you for coming so often on Friday nights like you do. I'm sure your partner appreciates it. So she can watch some uh, Love Love Island. She gets to watch, yeah. Yeah. Krypton to Alderaan, the Monopoly of Star Wars podcasts. That's a, please, no one um, refer to us. It's uh, oh, so funny. Oh, it's so good. Well, great convo. So Thank good. you so much. Thank you. Well, everyone, I hope you enjoyed my conversation with Brian. You can find Brian and Pink Milk on Twitter at Serving Pink Milk. And on YouTube, just search Pink Milk and go subscribe to their channel and give them some likes. Make sure to check out their podcasts. And hey, don't forget, Brian and his co-host host a live stream every Friday night. So come hang out in the steam room. If you'd like to get in touch with us, reach out with your feelings. You can find us at Krypton to Alderaan on all social media and YouTube. Or you can pew pew us an email at Krypton to Alderaan at gmail.com. Thanks so, so much for listening. I've been Joey, and I'll catch you on the next episode. Bye.